Hey, movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 71, a very Batman-themed episode, to say the least, because Christmas came early, and we have our first look at the Batsuit. But before we get into that, Josh, how you doing tonight? I'm, I'm, I'm all right, man. Um, you know, I'm actually kind of excited for some of the news on this, because I... I you and I have talked very, very in small amounts about quite a bit of this stuff. So I'm excited. And then, of course, I think our topic for today will be interesting. I think you and I are going to have very similar lists, but in different order. Yes. Um, I think way back when we may have already done a video on this topic. It may have just been a top five. I, I, I think so. But, but also that was however, a few years since, ago, and there's been several good ones since then. I agree, and I think there was some that I had forgotten about that have been put on this list. So, yeah, yeah, I had to like deep dive. So, in case we didn't say at the top of the show, today's discussion will be the top ten Batman movies for Josh and I. This will be um, not just live action because I don't even think there's been ten live action Batman movies, but this will be any. Um, any feature-length film that stars a version of Batman. That's the only catalyst. It has to be Batman-oriented or Batman has to be a lead. So no Justice League stories. That's that's a caveat that we had. Um, but much Which to was discuss actually this. Tough. It, it was, that was That made it kind of tough on that because there was a surprising amount of of movies, even animated, that was like Batman appears in this or Batman. Blah, blah, blah. So it was, yeah, it was it was tough, dude. Yeah, there's a couple really good like Justice League ones that we can't put on the list. We're just doing solo outings, live action, animation, um, with a couple wrenches thrown in there. But let's get into the news. We had a yeah. mild reveal on uh, not that not that big of a deal. Didn't break the internet or anything. Over the first official look yeah. at Matt Reeves' Batman movie with Robert Pattinson in the bat suit. Um, I'm not gonna lie, the first time I saw it uh was someone one of the DC fees that I follow on Instagram shared it. And like it's not one of those like sources that's always like super reliable. So I thought it was something that like leaked, yeah. and I was just like, eh, I don't know if I buy this. Um, but then everyone else was posting. I was just like, oh, so this is legitimate. So I looked it up and I first just saw the video of like the black and then fades to red a little bit. And he comes out of the, um, like out of, um, out of focus. There we go. Out of focus shot. And you just see the suit. Um, if that's all you've seen, you have not seen the full thing because you need to see it. You need to better yet hear it because there is music accompanying it. And that's apparently the actual music from the movie being scored by Michael Giacchino. Um, before I get into it, Josh, what do you think of both the music and this suit reveal for Batman that we've been waiting for so long to see? Um, first of all, let's talk about music. Um, I, I know you were pretty stoked about it and I, I am as well. I, I'm not entirely sure if that's our new theme. I kind of, I think it's an abridged theme. Um, 
I think so too. Cause I, I, I don't think there was certain aspects of it that didn't, that felt like really cool, but it didn't feel like big and, and like, Oh, that's the theme kind of feel. I think it's you know the I mean? build up right before um, the theme hits. I, I agree. I agree. Um, also, uh, the suit itself, you don't really see much of it, but of what we did see, I kind of got a like a very heavy Batman Year One Gotham of Gaslight by yes. Gaslight feel. Okay, it's not just me that thought that with a really high Especially collar in, in the back and the clearly hand stitched yes. together cowl. Yes, it'll be interesting to see what where we go with this. The one of the really weird takes. Um, I say weird because I don't quite know what to do with the information, but it's also kind of cool. Um, there was, I think it was IGN did a, did a piece on it on the Snapchat videos or whatever. Um, and they were saying that how interesting it would be is if that his first bat symbol in his chest is made from the gun that killed his parents. Yep. I was wondering when we would get around to that. Um, yeah. It, it does not look it's not a solid piece of metal no uh, i initially thought that like oh that's the new batarang and it's going to be like titans where robin could like rip the r off his piece and use it as a batarang like batman could rip the emblem off and throw mm-hmm. it uh and then i heard that theory that yeah. this he like uses the gun that killed his parents as his emblem which i'm just like it's hard to be more metal than that <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's like it's also the gun like, that killed my parents a, i will use to strike fear into the hearts of my enemies it'll it protect is. me in battle i'm just like As you, it's hardcore man <laughs> it's so like i'm gonna go wear black and, and stand sta- <coughs> oh excuse me stand in the rain <coughs> but yeah man i mean honestly to me that's like such a personal thing a thing that i don't think we've ever had in a batman story so i mean i'm kind of down for that i also saw um thanks to you um saw finally saw lighthouse um and oh i was gonna yeah i forgot to text you that i uploaded a bunch of new stuff to the voodoo yes uh such a weird movie dude so weird I think, I, real quick side tangent, I was sitting there most of the movie going, okay, um, uh, when's the reveal that, you know, that nothing is, is what we saw, blah, 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 you know, like the typical twist that these kinds of movies have. And I'm like sitting there waiting for it and waiting for it and waiting for it and it never happened. It was like, oh no. Yeah, I was so uncomfortable oh, no. watching the but theater, rather, but in the best way. Um which, oh, dude, which like did you like movie. better, this or The Witch? Because I know you love The Witch. I really like The Witch, um, mostly because while The Lighthouse is good and the acting is incredible, um, the lines between uh, his insanity and his reality are so blurred to the point, in my opinion, that it kind of makes it hard to follow story-wise. Okay. I, I actually think I prefer The Lighthouse over The Witch just because it's more trippy and just uncomfortable. 
Yeah, I, it's I, more I, surreal. I that too, like it's. Yeah, I mean, you know what? Maybe in if we're going to talk about like which movie I enjoyed more, definitely The Witch. Which movie made me more uncomfortable? Definitely Lighthouse. <laughs> yeah, Lighthouse is. Uh, but it's good we bring up Lighthouse yes. because anybody that's doubting Robert Pattinson is the role in the role of Batman, just see Lighthouse if if you can handle it. Um, yeah. Also, the I love that people are making jokes well, about it, but it's so true. How about that jawline, though? Oh, bro. <laughs> He's got the jawline. It's like the jawline straight out of the animated series. It looks like the bottom of a box. Yeah, it's just wild, man. Like, come on. Can't get any better than that. Like, let's go. I'm I'm, I'm really excited about this now. Like, Same. Um, so, I, I'm, do you, uh, before we, we get into the so suit, I'll talk about we're the music get for a little bit. Best analogy that I heard, and I, ever since somebody brought that up, I can't unhear it now, is it sounds like a combination of Darth Vader's theme and music from Sherlock. Yes. Which, if that's which the is case, exactly what we need, what that needed. Which, if that's the case, you nailed what Batman is. The intimidation of Vader with the intelligence yeah, of Sherlock. It, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and if anybody's listening, I'm sorry. I, I love you, and I love, I love Star Wars, but Vader's not intelligent, so get out of here. He's got great music, though. Yeah, exactly. You know, that Imperium, Imperial, Imperium. Geez, I can't talk today. I, I swear. Um, so, when do you think we're going to get a teaser to our first t- t- teaser trailer? Comic Con. I think is this is going to satiate us for a while. I think. This was done for one reason, one reason only. Um, they're going to be filming outside soon. This is what the, that's what this means to me is they're going to be filming outside okay. either day or night, and we're going to see the bat suit through like paparazzi pictures or just people on the street. Yeah. And they wanted to get out in front of that, um, which is something they had to learn that's the hard smart. way with Shazam because Shazam's yeah. set photos. Um, were leaked before they got an official image and people bashed the crap out of that suit because it's not a professionally done picture. Mm-hmm. It's not establishing the context in which case the scene happens. So you're seeing a suit out of context. It just doesn't really make sense. Um, so I think they're doing that because they're, they're already filming outside. They're filming right now. Like set photos are dropping almost daily of stuff that's happening, but we haven't seen the suit out in the wild, so to speak. So I think this was done to get yeah, out in yeah. front of it. Which is really smart. I don't think even even Marvel hasn't done anything like that. No. Um, no, because Marvel also does a lot of inside shooting, too. That's fair. Um, so break things down, and then I kind of, it makes me think, I'll talk about what we do see, and then I think it's also very important what we don't see. Um, in terms of what we do see, I actually do think that that emblem on his chest is the gun that killed his parents. I think that's, that, I think that's a really cool yeah, concept. That's the- when I saw it, it kind of seemed like a hybrid between the Gotham Gaslight suit that you already talked about with a yeah. high collar in the back, um, the hand-stitched cowl that almost looks like just leather, not like armor that we've seen in other movies. But then you see like the chest plate and the shoulder is clearly armor. 
almost looks like Arkham Knight. Mm-hmm. Some people were trying to say Arkham Origins, but to me, Origins, like his chunkiest suit, like very bulky yeah. and armor, whereas he's got more armor in Arkham Knight, but it's almost sleeker and slimmer, which is what I think they're going to do with for Pattinson because he's a slimmer actor. Sure, he's going to bulk up, but he's not yeah. He's not Ben Affleck size for this Batman. It's a different incarnation. So I like that we kind of have this yeah. clearly made-by-hand bat suit of like you've got the traditional like leather cowl, but then you've got hardcore metal armor protecting him. Um, so that's what we see on screen. I think they're purposely withholding some stuff from us. If you look carefully in this little um, less than a minute teaser that they showed. We don't see the ears. We don't see the ears. We don't see the the belt. We also, because I'm gonna keep saying it till I'm blue in the face, and I say blue because everyone and their mother is assuming this suit is black and gray. I don't think it is. <laughs> yes, because there's they shot this thing in red light. They didn't give us this suit in full color. I still say this thing is blue and gray. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And they really, they're trying to keep that as close to the chest as they can. I've been saying it's blue and gray forever, and I'm still sticking with that. But also, I'm, I have a th- after the suit reveal came out, I started to think, and I'm, I'm thinking even more about this, this is not the final suit by any stretch. No. I think this is the I suit that we're going to get for makes. most of the movie. And then towards the tail end, he if this isn't blue and gray, he'll upgrade to like a traditional classic blue and gray Batman suit that we know more from the comics at the end. Because in almost any superhero movie that you see, they have that transformation scene of... The first Iron Man, he starts off with that big clunky suit, then gets to the one that we know and love. Um, Spider-Man Homecoming, he's got the janky suit. Then he's got the Tony suit. Uh, Captain America, he's got his war one. Then he's got his actual Captain America suit. It's just a trend in comic book movies of this is your early suit, and then this is your, you've undergone a story arc. This is your new look. I think that's kind of what we're going for here. Yeah, and it it, it helps you appreciate yeah, it helps you appreciate the 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 like old school one a lot more. It's clearly made by Bruce Wayne by hand. Like Lucius Fox is not making it for him, which is totally fine with me. I like seeing that. Yes, this definitely looks like it's made by hand. Whereas the Christian Bale one, he always said that that Batman always was just like, "Yes, I made everything myself," but it always looked too manufactured to me. Yeah. Like, someone else clearly made this, whereas this bat suit, I could see someone making this. This seems like it was made by hand. Yeah, I agree. Or at Um, least someone who doesn't know exactly what they're doing. Yet, which is why I think you'll get... If this isn't the blue and the gray, we will get a blue and the gray by the end of the movie. Um, Another important thing color-wise that... I didn't even thought about, but I, one of the podcasts I was listening to brought this up, and I think it's a really good point, is what is the significance? Why was this shot in red as opposed to, like, black and white? But also, um, when they showed, like, the little clapboard that just said the Batman to signify that they were shooting, that was all in red, too. Do we think there's any significance to this recurring red? 
Um, maybe. Uh, who knows? It's. I mean, maybe they're going to give us a red suit, ew. But um, well, I mean, actually, the the Thomas suit would be red. <laughs> Which, let's be fair, there's been some really good red Batman suits. It's not going to happen, Batman Beyond. But I've actually more always been a sucker for uh, Justice League three thousand. Yes. Love that suit. I don't think it's going to be red suit. Um, I don't. I think there's clearly wow. something there, like trying to drop hints, but I, I don't know what they're possibly referring to. But yeah, I think this was released think- one to get us hyped to go. Hey guys, we're now officially filming, but also we want you to see the bat suit before some idiot with a terrible picture quality camera takes one of a Batman that may not be the most flattering picture. Yeah, absolutely. And what about this being a hint to uh, a red, uh, like a red hood story, not Jason red hood, but like, because that happens very early on in his, in Batman's career. Uh, I don't know. But see, that's the issue is the original red hood was Joker. And that is what made him become Joker. But I don't think we're getting Joker at all in these new movies. True, 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 true. No, you're not wrong. It's just interesting to think about. Um, I loved yeah, this suit. I thought this was a great reveal. Um, and I think they, this also was done for, one, to convince people that aren't Pattinson fans, this is what he's going to look like. But also it gives them time that if they don't like it right now, because I know there's plenty of people that don't like it, it gives them time to adjust to what this look is. Yeah, and it's important to give people that time, especially like since we just got a fresh Batman not even a couple years ago. Yeah, which was like ripped right off the comic panels, but well, at least visually. Yeah, which yeah. visually, yes. Um, so let's talk about something you're excited to, to something that I actually disagreed with. Um, just what do you mean? Dis- the, how do you mean disagreed stream. with? With uh, so let's so what I'm talking about is the the Stranger Things season four dropped a new tre- teaser, yes. right? Yes. Um, and for those who haven't seen it, uh, Hopper, it's all about Hopper. I would have kept that way closer to the chest. I agree. I mean, because yes, as a it's like as a fan, like yeah, like we all like. There's no way they're gonna kill off Hopper like that. We never saw the body. Blah 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 blah. Like as a fan, yeah, we know he's still alive. But at the same time, there was always that like, oh, I don't know, maybe not. So, so like, I I feel like I don't know. So uh, while I completely agree with you that this should have been kept as a surprise, I'll play devil's advocate for two reasons. Um, the first is you forget in a couple months, Black Widow comes out with David Arbor. So I think they're hoping oh. that this, um, like kind of rejuvenates some popularity of, cause face it, strange things has been gone for a few months of, oh yeah, this is coming out later this year. Oh yeah. He's in Black Widow and kind of bandwagoning off the ba- Black Widow popularity that I'm sure is sure to come in a couple months, at least the general buzz. Um, but the big thing of why I think they released this now and I'll, 
while I agree they should have kept Hopper's return a surprise, but while I get that they're revealing this, is because cameras haven't started rolling on season four yet. This was a trailer to announce, more or less, the filming of season four has begun. And like the Pattinson situation, I think they wanted to officially go, here's something to get you excited for the new season before some idiot with a cell phone in his back pocket takes a picture of Hopper on set and everyone just goes, this confirms Hopper's back. I think Netflix themselves wanted to announce that Hopper's back as opposed to the internet going, how is he... um, See, Hopper's back. See, we're still going to be formulating theories of how he came back, but I think they wanted to get out in front of it. That being said, I agree that this should have been kept as a surprise, but with a character like Hopper, I think... It's tough. We would watch it either way, but I do feel like there may be at least a small contingent of fans that with him being gone, they probably wouldn't watch it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and what's interesting, too, is... um, what a way to hide his weight loss from, uh, you know, all the other movies he's been doing than to put him in a Russian camp. <laughs> also, tell me he doesn't look like exactly like his character, just minus the beard, in um, Black Widow. Oh, yeah. Completely. It's uh, it, Yeah. He's got one of them faces. He can't really change. Yeah. Like, he definitely lost a lot of weight. The weird thing, though, with this teaser is there's no, like, season four, like, music or teaser sting to it. If you didn't tell me this was Stranger Things, I would just think, oh, this is David Arbor's next movie. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It doesn't necessarily tie in to season four. Which is exactly why I why I am going to stay stick by my guns on this and be like, you should have should have kept it closer to the chest. Yeah, I would have liked it as a surprise too, but I think people knew that he'd be coming back, so I don't think Netflix was like, we need to play the waiting game with this. I think Netflix knew that they that people knew that Hopper was coming back. Fair. I mean, yeah. Well, like, like I said, well, like, we knew Superman we all, was coming like, back in Justice was, League, but yet, stupidly, they, they tried to hide that. Yeah. And that really hurt the marketing yeah, campaign. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yes. They're so Marketing campaigns, man. Oh. Um, yeah, I mean, I get why, but at the same time, like, to me, it's just, you know... It's more to hype up Stranger Things Season 4 more than anything else, which is fine with me. Because yeah. it's still yeah. a long ways off. Yeah, well, absolutely. Which is, I still believe that this is the final season. They're just not saying it yet. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, a, a big part of that has got to be because um, everybody you know, has gotten so big, they're starting to do other things. Yes, um, so like David Arbor's moved on to everything. What it's bigger, better things. Finn Whitrock is in like everything now. <laughs> so, yeah, it w- I'm, I'm not going to be surprised if it's if this is the last season, and they're, they're they've got to end it with a bang. I mean, how do you? I don't know how you go bigger than last season is the global. Thing. I think I the mean, Russians yeah, are opening the, a portal the, the, to the upside w- down, and like. The whole world may get turned upside down or inside out. 
<laughs> Inside Out. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see, man. I don't know. I'm still excited, um, but yeah, but I think they could have. I think there's better ways. At least to, a little. Even, the okay, if I was the one doing this, the only thing I would change about the trailer, if this was the footage that they're insistent on shooting, because maybe they haven't filmed anything, is why, for the love of editing in this yeah. world, why didn't you open with a flip shot of, like, the camera turning upside down to reveal the place that he's working? Yeah. Like, do something... Because, cre- yeah, like you said, this just felt like... A like a David Hopper announcement film or something, you know, like David Hopper. Yep, I got like a nose thing going right now, so everything's like. What is Hopper's <laughs> first name? Sheriff. It's uh, oh, you know, uh, Hopper. <laughs> His name's Hopper Hopper. Yes, like Mario <laughs> Mario. Exactly. <laughs> Now, um, for something yeah, that's completely yeah, that's exactly. different than Stranger Things, we have Wes Anderson, who yeah, is, which, besides uh, Quentin Tarantino, I, I love, he's the but, only director that I can think of that's his own movie genre. Yes. And I think the thing I like the most about it, I mean, outside of the fact that I do enjoy Wes Anderson movies, I think one of my favorite things is I never know when one's in the works like I just all of a sudden a trailer appears and I'm like, Oh, okay, let's go. <laughs> yeah. I, I would agree. Like they just kind of pop up. I never hear about them. They're just, Oh, Hey, we're done with one. We filmed one over a weekend in Switzerland with Bill Murray. Yeah. I love it. I love how Bill Murray is yet again, the focal point, which I get the, sense if it's anything like other Wes Anderson movies Bill Murray's not going to be in this movie very long he never is except for Life of Steve Zissou yes, yes. but I mean but this one seems like it, he will be because it is technically his character who's creating the French Dispatch so I maybe I didn't catch it the first time I watched this movie the first time I watched this trailer I mean um, this is clearly an anthology movie how so? Of so, Grand Budapest Hotel is a story within a story within a story. Um, this is from what the view of the trailer. It seems like Bill Murray is the narrator for like these four mini sodes that are going to be in this movie. Interesting. Like okay. the Benicio del Toro in prison story, the Timothy Chalamet starting a revolution story, um, the. Chef's daughter's been kidnapped story. I think all those are separate self-contained stories that are being narrated by somebody else in the French dispatch. Huh. Okay, I can see that. But also, as soon as the trailer started, I was just like, oh, I didn't realize he was making a sequel to Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, because it looks very... Unlike some previously, this looks very, very similar to Grand Budapest Hotel, where in the past he's been very good about switching up the palette every single movie. Yes, like he has a very distinct look, but they're all slightly different. Like I would say Life Aquatic of Steve Zissou doesn't look like Fantastic Mr. Fox, which doesn't look like Grand Budapest Hotel. This does look like Grand Budapest Hotel. But that being said, 
I'm not going to complain because Grand Budapest is actually my favorite Wes Anderson movie. I'm sorry, what? It is over Life of Zissou. Uh, Life of Zissou. Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Grand Budapest is actually my favorite of Wes Anderson but, movies. But, like, there's Moonrise Kingdom, Fantastic Mr. Fox. See, um, Fantastic Mr. Fox doesn't do it for me. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, although sometimes Fantastic Mr. Fox makes me uncomfortable just because of the animation. But, but also, Kingdom, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel has some of the best Jeff Goldblum. One of the best yes. villain themes with Adrian Brody's, like, I'm stalking the hotel music. And the scene <laughs> that yeah. I have seen it over a hundred times and it will never cease to not make me laugh is with Ray Fiennes of a woman's dead in my hotel and you think I killed her and just runs away mid-sentence. <laughs> but it's a like, very, very good film. Wes Anderson is like Edgar Wright in the sense of they understand that movement in um, film is actually funny if you do it right. So people like move or the camera shows them in weird ways. So like the Ray Fiennes thing, he just runs straight away from the camera, but the way it's done is really funny. Or you get some of that in this trailer too of weird lateral movement on just like a static camera of like people crashing through walls. That kind of reminded me of the end of Blazing Saddles when they crashed the movie set. Yes. Which I'm sure that was done on purpose. Um, but movement can be funny, I, uh, and I've always liked that about Wes Anderson, that he can make that, he understands that could work. Well, and I think that's why so many big-name actors kind of go in and work with him, because he understands a certain amount of subtlety. Like people like Bruce Willis, who really hasn't done a lot of work late, these past few years, except for Wes Anderson. Bruce Willis? Oh, yeah, he did with Moonrise yeah. Kingdom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and he's he was in. I want to say he was in another one with them as well. I think so, but I don't remember off the top. But also, I think he yes, might he's be got a voice. his usuals like the Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Willem Dafoe. But it seems it's nice that he's getting some new people this time around with Timothy Timothy Chalamet, uh, Shosha Ronan. Yeah, it, it it'll be interesting to say the least of who all who. I'm just Bill Murray basically plays the same character in all of those films. So Bill Murray plays but, the same character I mean, in every the, role. <laughs> Lovable jerk. I was going to say I was like not somebody here. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but it's a Wes like Anderson Edward movie. Norton. It means the critics are going to love it, but it's not going to win anything. Which is unfortunate because I, I really enjoy it. And, but I mean, I don't think it really. I'm, and I say this in the most loving way. I don't think it deserves a any kind of award necessarily. I almost feel like giving an award kind of belittles what it what it is as an art form. I don't know why, but whenever I think of Wes Anderson movies, I think of just like a really well-made cupcake. Like it's not the most filling, yeah. but it's gorgeous to look at and it can be nice and fluffy and fun. Exactly. And there's uh there can be like a lot of subtle hints of things. Yeah. Um, something that wasn't very like, subtle like, um, was the Aladdin oh, movie from last year. Jeez, we are killing these segues today. Yeah. So, Josh, have you gotten around <laughs> to watching it or are you still going, nope, with your arms crossed? 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I've gotten other stuff to watch. I need, I'm, I'm going to watch Dr. Sleep tonight. So, Oh, there you go. Buckle in. It's very long. Yes. Uh, it also I was, looks I was crazy good on 4k. Uh, I was going to ask you if I should watch the OG version first or go straight to the director's cut. I have not watched the director's cut yet. So I would say watch the director's cut and let me know. It looks okay, crazy good. good in 4k. It's also nice that, um, they shot an aspect ratio that you don't get the black bar, so you get full screen and 4K. Ooh, that's that's hot. That's yeah. really hot. Yeah. Um, so we bring up Aladdin, which I'm still saying actually was the pleasant surprise of last year. We both thought it was going to be just terrible. Well, it made over a billion dollars for Disney, so naturally sequel talks have already begun, and it seems like a sequel is already in the works. However... The surprising thing is it's not supposedly, according to the writers, um, not going to be based on either of the direct-to-DVD Aladdin spinoffs that we got the first time Aladdin came out with Return of Jafar and is that Prince of Thieves or King of Thieves. One of them was great. One of them was Return of Jafar, which is like yeah. one of the worst direct-to-DVD sequels Disney ever did. They didn't get Robin Williams back for the genie it was just bad but prince of thieves was pretty good um i don't know how i feel about this even as someone that liked the first aladdin that came out i thought will smith was really really good as genie he doesn't try to be robin williams he tries to be his own thing it's very much like the fresh prince was blue essentially he's his old school self that being said, I don't know if I'm excited about the potential for this because I don't know necessarily where the story goes from here. And this is coming from someone that has seen all the subsequent expanded Aladdin lore, so to speak, of like, I saw both the directed DVD yeah. sequels. I grew up watching Aladdin the Animated Series, which was pretty good in and of itself. Um, so I know there are other stories to tell here, but I don't necessarily see where they go here. Josh, am I overreacting? Even as someone that hasn't seen it, is the potential of a sequel something that interests you, or do you think Disney's just trying to overextend themselves? Here's the thing. The, if, <laughs> if they're going to be like, no, it's not like anything we've seen before, we're doing something new. I'm okay with that. Now, let me ask you something, because I, I, I'm not 100% sure on this. Aladdin is really just a retelling of a certain story from the book Arabian Nights, correct? Yes. Okay, so... From a certain point of view. Technically speaking... Yeah, from, from a certain point of view. Um, There's a lot of sand, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this could be an opportunity to explore more of the stories that are in there. I mean, because it's not just Aladdin. It's not just... Sinbad. It's there's a lot of stories in that book. So I mean, if this could be the opportunity to bring some more, uh, how do I say this? Like Arabian culture and Arabian folklore to to the big screen. Fair enough. That's a that's a good perspective. I hadn't thought about that. Um, if nothing else, it would be a great chance to see more of the fantastic production design that went into it, like. The costuming mm -hmm. and everything else was spectacular for Aladdin. And some of the uh, numbers were really, really well done. It's just that it was so 
it was just Aladdin. And I don't know where to go, where the story can go from there. I'm not fully opposed to it. I just don't really know what route the story can take. Um, but also, I, I want to be fair to the guy, but the guy that played Aladdin himself, I thought was just kind of fine. If I had to equate him to somebody, yeah. I would equate him to Aaron Taylor, Aaron Taylor Johnson in the first Godzilla movie. He's just kind of eh, but his co-star is so much better. Yeah. Oh, that's that's tough. Like he's not as bad as Aaron Taylor Johnson was, but if he is Aaron Taylor Johnson, then Naomi Scott as Princess Jasmine is Brian Cranston. Jeez. Like, Jasmine was so much better than Aladdin in this, which is, it helped the overall narrative, but as a character, I'm more interested in Jasmine's story than Aladdin's. Fair. But hey, you know, maybe we, uh, maybe we get Aladdin and maybe we cast a Sinbad and have them go off on adventures. We'll cast the actual Sinbad. No, no. You take that back. I don't want to hear that. I don't want it that. Mm-mm. Kazam 2, now streaming on Disney+. Plus. How? How dare you? <laughs> how, Is he still how dare alive? you put that thought in the universe? Sinbad? Yes. Is he still doing things? Uh, no, not really. Jingle <laughs> all the way three. <laughs> That's... <laughs> 24. Sinbad has to fight Jake Lloyd as an adult. Can we... All right. Yeah, no. You know what? Let's just move on because I don't want to talk about Sinbad anymore. (laughs) Sinbad doesn't want to talk about Sinbad. (laughs) Yeah, geez. It's a bomb. Anyway. Okay. So this next one, I'll be honest. I don't have that much emotional connection to, but I know a large portion of people do. Uh, and that's the Mighty Ducks. Josh, did you grow up watching any of the Mighty Ducks movies? I did not. Um, this is, this is, I snuck, I had to sneak a lot of films growing up. So like I saw, it's one of the reasons why I'm so attached to like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers in the 90s TMNT. Because I happened to be able to sneak those from the library uh, without my mom knowing. Um, but then she caught on before I could get to Mighty Ducks. So. Which I would think Mighty Ducks is one of the ones that she would probably let you watch. Um, actually, no, because there's a little bit like more language in the Mighty Ducks, like quote unquote language, you know, for that would be inappropriate for like an eight year old or whatever. And I, so, I mean, it's it's whatever. I'm not going to it's neither here nor there, but still. Um, so, I did. I did see the first one years later, but that was about it. Tell you the truth, I don't know if I've seen any of them. Um I know they're really, really popular. I just don't think I might have seen the first one, but if I have, it's been so long. I don't think I have. We bring up Mighty Ducks because it seems like Disney Plus is moving forward with a new Mighty Ducks, anim- uh, not animated. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second. Um, Disney Plus is moving forward with a new Mighty Ducks season, uh, sh- like show with the mom from Gilmore Girls as the lead and a producer, I think. Um I'm curious if this is going to be like High School Musical, the musical, the series, where it's like meta of the Mighty Ducks was a movie um, based off our hometown team, or if that's a little too similar to that show, or if it'll be like 
a continuation of the Mighty Ducks, that original movie. I don't think Emilio Estevez um, is too busy these days. <laughs> I I really hope that it's a continuation because I really don't like that idea of uh, for of doing that for for Mighty Ducks. It makes sense for the High School Musical, yeah, um, because High School Musical was so big. Um, but at the same time, it's like eh, I don't really care about doing that for the Mighty Ducks. So I accidentally slipped about animated, and I was thinking about it because, uh. Growing up, when you said Mighty Ducks, the first thing that came to my head was not the live-action hockey movies. It actually was, for those of us that remember, the animated series called Mighty Ducks on, like, Toon Disney or something. Yeah, it was the best! Now, if they told me that was getting a live-action series on Disney+, Plus. That I'd be very concerned, even more concerned about. But if you told me it was a just a Disney Plus series, I'd be excited because I don't want that in live action form. But that that just makes me think: How did you go from the original Mighty Ducks movie with Emilio Estevez as your kind of paint by numbers Sandlot meets hockey type movie to there. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles knockoff with ducks? Yeah. Yeah, I'll never understand how we got that animated version of Mighty Ducks out of that movie, but I, I'm not, not going to lie, and I know I'm in the minority in this because so many people grew up with that version of Mighty Ducks as opposed to the one I know. I'm, I'd be more excited for a return of the animated version, but I, I'll yeah. be willing to give this a Same. shot. I'm, I applaud Disney+. Plus. They realize that original content is what they need. Uh, as much as it's cool having all the old Disney stuff, eventually that novelty is going to wear off. You need more than just, look at all this old school stuff that we got and one season of Mandalorian. And we're getting more Marvel stuff, but you got to expand the reach a little bit. And good for Disney Plus for really being aggressive in their expansion. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I mean, our last have, news topic like you said, today. They have to. Hmm? Like you said, they they have to. They don't really have much of a choice. If they're going to keep up with the other streaming services, having everything old school at our fingertips is not enough. Which it should be, but we're ungrateful. It's not. (laughs) I mean, yes, but that's not the point. (laughs) Yeah. For our last news topic today, um, it's one that is very curious considering how little we really know about it, if we're being honest. So, as we know, Sony is responsible for their own branch of Marvel, which is really, really confusing and everything. Um, for lack of a better term, we'll just label it the Venomverse. Uh, movies like Venom, uh, Morbius will be in there technically. Sp- well, that's a little up in the air of whether Spider-Man's in the MCU or is he in the Venomverse. It's all very complicated, but let's just say any movie that Sony makes with Marvel characters is separate from the MCU. So, Sony's division of Marvel announced a new release date for October 8th, 2021, but they didn't say what this movie will be. So, Josh, let's put on our speculation caps. 
What's this gonna this what's this movie gonna be? That's the words I'm looking for. <laughs> um Yay. Uh let's see. We got Morbius and we're getting Carnage and Venom. Um which is filming right now. We actually got a look party shared a look uh at Woody Harrelson as Cletus Cassidy. It's really Nothing. He's just in an ugly Hawaiian shirt. But thank God, his hair is different. Yay! He doesn't have that terrible um, clown wig. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think because if they're going to stick to this, like, see, the other thing with doing Morbius is, are they? Is it technically a Venom verse, or are they just set doing solo films for, um, for Spider-Man villains? Yeah, we have a lot of questions with Morbius. I think it is set in the Venom verse, but there's a lot of theories that it could be part of a larger multiverse. Exactly. So the thought I'm having in this particular moment, just to kind of, I don't know, figure out how where we go from here, um, is that these are tech. We're calling this the Venom verse only because it started with that, um, but it's actually just a bunch of move collective of movies that are connected to Spider-Man in a way to tell stories about villains so that when they do appear, they don't have to waste time storytelling with, you know, the, the villains in the, sto- in the, in the movie. <sighs> so if that's the case, Vulture's off the table. Um, we don't have to worry about Venom. Don't have to worry about, co- uh, Carnage. Let's see who else do we got? Um, I don't, oh. we, we don't worry about Mysterio. As soon as they um, release this like date, I thought immediately of what it could be, but I'll. Oh yeah. So you got to think October 8th, 2021. It may not seem that soon, but that is in terms of movie making, that's really soon. That's like a, we must be pretty far along in this development if we're, um, announcing this because that's a we need to st- probably pretty soon or have our script at a pretty decent position. So um, I feel like it's pretty safe to rule out it is it being a Venom sequel because we're getting a Venom two later this year. Um, I don't think it's Spider Man because we're getting twenty twenty one already, which isn't this date. Uh, I don't think it's Morbius 2 because less than a year turnaround for a sequel, I think that's a little too soon. I think it is the long gestating Craven the Hunter. Ooh, that wouldn't be a bad idea because we've been itching for that. I think it's one of two things. Either Craven the Hunter with... If I had to, there's a 70%, 75% chance to me that it's Craven the Hunter. The other 25%, I'll say is a Black Cat movie. Okay. I was going to go Scorpion. Mm, or, even as someone that likes Scorpion in the comics and in the games, there's not a lot motivation as a character for a solo outing? Maybe. Okay, fine. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, Plus, we've already uh, seen Scorpion. At least in the game, he's a, he would would be cool is actually if you did like a buddy-buddy 
like a buddy cop movie, but with two villains and do, do, with, do it with Rhino and uh, Scorpion. Huh. <laughs> what I see happening is we have Craven the Hunter in his solo film and then his sequel, if the first Craven does well, is hit, but Venom. Okay. Because if they keep going down this I path, Venom's actually a good guy, and Venom's an anti-hero, and Craven is like the ultimate hunter of I have to capture everything to prove that I'm the best hunter. What proves you're a better hunter than literally killing an alien parasite? Yeah. That's kind of basically in some ways impossible to kill. But I, I think it's Craven the Hunter because that's one that they've been very keen on doing for a long time and it's been rumored to be in the works forever. Plus, with all those other ones already having dates at other time points, I think it's very likely that it could be a Craven that, if they wanted to, could fold in to a Sinister Six. Now, this is assuming... This is assuming that Craven is not the villain in the new Spider-Man movie, which I still think is very likely. So it's either, I think... I would agree. He either is the villain in the next Spider-Man movie or he gets his own standalone movie. The nice thing with Craven is I think he's a strong enough character that as a villain, like Venom, he could hold his own film just because there's enough material for him. Like, Sony, I don't think would, but if they ever wanted to adapt Craven's Last Hunt as a movie... Yeah, it, that would be the way to go. But, and, and you know I don't normally champion R-rated movies that don't necessarily need it. Craven's Last Hunt might need it. At least, if, if at the very least, a very hard PG-13. Yes. Um, it will never happen, but I saw some nice fan casting that had Jason Momoa as Craven the Hunter, and I was just like, I can get on board with mm. this. I guess, but I almost, I think I'm stuck on Gerard Butler, but... You're welcome I, for I that. Think, yeah, thank you. I've but been saying I think, that for, um, like, what, six years? Yeah. I, Ever I, since I, 300 I just, came I out, think, I've wanted Gerard Butler's Craven the Hunter. <laughs> Even though, I, I don't let's know be honest, he's not the Momo best actor, was, but still. Yeah, and that's my... I, I don't think Jason Momoa has the villain chops... Uh, you, you I don't know. know. I, mean? like, I can see him being evil. We'll see, man. I don't know. I still kind of have my fingers crossed um, in terms of villain casting. I don't think we'll ever get it, but Matthew McConaughey is Norman Osborn. Okay, sure. I'm I think down. he's got an evil side. Right. Yeah, I, I actually would be really down for that. But... I don't think they'd ever, like, put the prosthetics or anything on him. But then again, I didn't think Christian Bale would ever join Thor, and look what happened there. Yeah, well, let's let's hold on to that, because I don't know if he's actually going to be doing much. Which I feel like if you're bringing in, you know, Christian Bale, he would be doing something, but I don't know about that. Well, that'll about do it for news. Josh, you got a sponsor for us this week? Um... I know what our sponsor should be. Ooh, yeah, what you got? Ace A movie that you just saw recently (laughs) that I've been telling you to see for months that wasn't, um, that wasn't in the voodoo yet, but will be available 
It is now available on digital and will be available in hard copy next week. Knives Out. Knives Out. Yes. Good stuff. If you guys haven't seen it yet, get every chance you can to go. I'm so excited for that to come on Blu-ray <laughs> next week. Ah, uh-huh. ah. Without dipping into spoilers, I'm Josh, give us your quick thoughts on Knives Out. Um, masterful, just masterful. Like, holy cow! Like, you are. I think you and I are uh, our, our biggest complaint about some mystery films is that they try to hide certain bits of evidence, so there's no way you can figure out what uh, what's going on. But in Knives Out, everything is right there. I swear, like once you get the big, you know, the, the, that big mystery moment at the end, once you like piece all the pieces together, every, all the information you need is right in front of you, the entire movie. Which there's a great line that I really wish more people in my theater laughed at. Cause I think it's a really funny line. Well delivered was Daniel Craig was trying to like give the rundown and all the details. He's just like, all right, here's everyone's story so far. You were doing this, you were doing this. And the little Nazi boy was sitting on the toilet. So yeah, I'm glad you finally got around to seeing Knives Out and, oh, I cannot wait for a sequel. Uh, actually, before we get into the main discussion, Josh, if you could do a quick top five, if you could cast the Knives Out sequel, who would you put in it besides General Craig? Um, I think I'm going to steal the ones that you just said, so you have to come up with other people. Um, <laughs> Taika Waititi would be fun. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, let's do <laughs> Tommy Wiseau. Why? <laughs> just to just to hear him say the, the the lines from the room again, but in a different movie. Um, uh, I have a weird uh, Amy Adams would be would be fun. Um, maybe what else is a good, uh, Adam driver would be fun. I mean, it's Ooh, Adam, Adam driver would be a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, if, let's see if I can think of a top five off the top of my head. Um, she can't come back because they've said it's going to be an all new cast, but I really liked the actress that played Marta, uh, Ana yes. de Armas. So, yes. Um, who would we get? Oh, maybe a Daisy Ridley. If you've got Adam Driver, I'd say maybe Daisy Ridley. Um, That'd be hilarious. And oh a more well-rounded goodness. character. Um, make them, and then, no, no, no. And make them like like married or something. And they talk about how their, their love was like stark. It was like walking on the like, clouds. Yes. <laughs> um, Jake Gyllenhaal, obviously. I think would be a great choice. Um, I don't know what physical condition he would be in because last time I heard from him, he had Bell's palsy, but I think it'd be a great homage to the movie that inspired Knives Out if we got Tim Curry in it. Ooh. That would um, be fun. Or um, Danny DeVito. Actually, my out-of-left-field pick of I would absolutely think this person would be great in a Knives Out sequel would be J.K. Simmons. Yeah. Oh, dude. I would eat that up. J.K. Simmons is incredible. J.K. Simmons. And then my last one, I'll go with Benicio Del Toro. Toro. Oh, yeah. Because he's great in basically everything. I'm just excited to see a Knives Out sequel. So, yeah. 
But we're not here to talk about Knives Out sequels. We're here to talk about the 10 best Batman movies. Because there's been a lot. Um, Now, this could be animated, live action, other. Because I'm sure we're going to have at least one that's in its own category all its own, I'm sure. I don't really know how to classify it. But, um, Josh, you want to start us off with number 10? What's your number 10 best Batman movie? Um, number 10 for me is Michael Keaton's Batman. Mainly because it started, that's really like, yeah, you have Batman, uh, you know, with, with Adam West and all that, but Batman with Michael Keaton's really the guy that that's the one that started all of this, you know, this modern Batman film thing. Now I will say, um, both of these lists are just our subjective opinions because I'm sure our opinions are going to differ from the, from a lot of other people's. But yes. for my number 10, I'm in wholehearted agreement with Josh. I have Batman 89, which I thought was going to be much more controversial because everyone seems to claim it as like one of the top five best Batman movies. And maybe it's because I saw it later in life and I was already in the Bale era as opposed to... Um, the Keaton era, but the 89 Batman has never really registered with me as strongly as other Batman movies, especially ones that we'll talk yeah. about later on this list. Um, there are some things that are really, really good. I will say Batman 89 of any live action Batman has the most fully realized and ideal version of Gotham. Yes. Of I think Michael Keaton is a good Batman. He's not the best by any stretch. Um, no. I know some people will say that, and that's awesome if you think that. I've never thought that. But the Gotham itself is like, that is perfect Gotham to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like it. I completely agree with you. It's the... It was what started everything. Without that one, we don't have everything else. I think my main issues with it come from... I'm not the biggest Tim Burton fan, and at times, the movie is very Tim Burton-ish. Yeah. Not as much as Batman Returns, obviously. Yes, but that, that that's uh, that's more of my main issues with it, is that it's so Tim Burton that it doesn't necessarily feel all Batman. But Michael Keaton's performance is so strong that it kind of... We, and so that's, with Jack Ni- Nic- that's the one with Jack Nicholson as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't mind Which I've never... I'm sure I'm going to have a couple mind. controversial opinions, but I've never understood the appeal of Jack Nicholson's Joker. Like, not in terms of, like, he's a villain, so you're not supposed to like him. I just don't think his performance is Joker to me. Yeah, I get that people like Jack Nicholson's Joker, but to me, it's always just been Jack Nicholson with clown makeup on. It's never really yeah. been Joker to me. I mean, he got the job because of that look, the one look in, in Shining, so. Yeah, basically. Um, which we talked about uh, Tim Burton. It's very Tim Burton inspired for that first Batman, but not as much as it was in Batman Returns, which is ironic because my number nine is a Returns movie, but it's not Batman Returns. It's The Dark Knight Returns. Now, for all intents and purposes, I'm going to lump part one and part two into one single movie, Um, which if I put just part one, it would be a lot higher on my list. Okay, 
All right, you can have it. I'll, I'll yeah. All right. Because sure. it's intended to be one movie, and the only reason they split it up was because it's an animated movie that they're normally about 70 minutes. So combined, it's about the average length of a normal movie. Um, Except for the part that, like, they both parts feel like one full completed story. True. On, on their own. But it's based off of one long story arc. Yeah, I know. Anyway, that's going to come back to bite us later. But uh, that's interesting that you have it as your is, – is it just because uh, – I think if it was just the part one, it would be higher on the list because I think the first half, the whole Bruce Wayne getting back into the swing of being Batman, fighting the mutants, um, everything leading up to it is really, really, really well done. The voice acting by Peter Weller is phenomenal. Normally, I'm a Kevin Conroy boy till the end, but he was an excellent Batman. I think the movie definitely loses a lot of its momentum in the second half. Like, I know it's awesome that we have uh, Batman versus Superman. I just didn't think the second half was nearly as strong as that first half. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree, and I have my reasons, but I'm gonna save them. So, oh, I'm sure. Um, Josh, <laughs> what's your number nine? Um, Killing Joke. Really? Yes, because yes, after the first thirty minutes of hogwash, it's literally one of the most perfect frame for frame comic to movie adaptations. However, that first third or 30 minutes for me is so rough. It's, it takes me out so much that I don't need it, that it's, it, it's a lot lower on my list. I feel you. That, that first 30 minutes of Killing Joke is such a deal breaker. Um, like, I want to like Killing Joke, but that first opening part of it, I can't even consider it to be in my like favorites list at all, just because I don't like the movie just because of that opening of normally um, endings ruin a movie for you. But for me, it was the exact opposite of the ending is what ruined this movie. Yeah. It's the beginning is what ruined it. I believe it's just unnecessary. Unnecessary. Yeah. Unnecessary. But also if it was compelling, and added more depth to Batgirl's character, then, okay, maybe it was necessary and add more sympathy, but it was so poorly done. Yeah, it's... Because I understand, like, the whole reason was to make us feel more for Barbara when what happens happens, but at the same time, you don't need... It's like saying the only reason that Batman cares so much about what happens to Barbara is because is because he they had sex one time, not because he cares about her as a person. Which I think it was Paul Dini that um, did this that did Batman animated series, which is the only other time um, in any Batman canon that they've tried to make Batgirl and Batman a thing, which I've always been very much against, just because well for so many issues, and he seems to be like the only. Batman creative person that like wants that relationship, but since he's such a high ranking 
member of the bat writing staff. I'm just like, can we just not, please? No one's asking for this. It's like Tim Drake dating Batgirl in the Arkham games. It's just, well. Yeah, that's No, weird. this is worse. This is worse than that. Yeah, no, it's it's just like, and that's the that's the problem is because literally you can you can physically skip the the whole first thirty second thirty minutes, and literally you can tell the difference between what was added and the OG Killing Joke story because once that gets going, it is all you know all aboard, let's go because it's it's a fantastic film after that. My only other negative is I wish the ending could have been a little bit more ambiguous because the ending of the comic itself is one of the most ambiguous in comic book history of, wait, did Batman just kill the Joker? And it's kind of up in the air for the reader to interpret. This one, I think, just it just kind of ended. There wasn't a lot of ambiguity there. Yeah. I think it could have been done better. I would agree. So... Let's keep, keep keep this rolling. What do you have for your number eight? Um, my number eight does involve the Joker in a sense, but it takes place many, many years after what most people know about Batman. And I talked earlier about Tim Drake and Batgirl. Well, Tim Drake does play into this movie, and I'm, co- of course, talking about Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. Jeez, dude. Please don't tell me that's your number eight. No, I have okay, a little good. higher. I have I have it a little higher. There's just other ones that I like a lot more. I think you watched more Batman Beyond than I did. I uh, yeah, that, and that that was going to be one of my reasons too of going into it. But we'll get there. Yes, this movie I love it as a Batman fan, but it definitely helps you more if you're a Batman Beyond fan. Because I think the movie does a great job of bridging the gap of people like me that mainly watch the animated series. Like, you could still follow along. Um, but it behooves you better if, like, you know the, um, the Batman Beyond world a little bit better. Because even now, there'll be villains, like, at the very beginning when there's that heist with, um, what's it, Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Who, like, the twin sisters mm-hmm. and, like, the hyena man. And like discount yep. scarecrow, like all these characters that I'm just like, I know you from this movie, but I'm assuming I would know you a lot better if I watched the show. Yes. But and I, I think that was the thing, the one thing going into, I, I just also, yeah, I think I've always connected with Terry more than Bruce for some reason. Oh no, I completely agree. I still think. And I'm willing to fight this till the day I die that the best Batman we've ever had is Dick Grayson. More so than Bruce Wayne. But Yes. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but yeah, I I always really like Return of the Joker. It was a really well told story. Even though as someone that like was kind of familiar with Batman Beyond, it didn't exclude me because I wasn't super familiar with it. Art design was excellent. Um something that I haven't talked about yet that actually eliminated some movies from this list um, because they weren't up to par is the voice cast. And I think Batman Beyond Return of the Joker has an incredible voice cast with Will Friedle as Batman Beyond, uh, Kevin Con- Kevin Conroy returning as Joke as Batman. Sorry. Ooh, um, Mark Hamill returning as Joker, which quick side tension up uh, Joker. This movie righted the single greatest wrong there ever was in Batman animated series 
with the change of a lot of characters' appearances for season four for the new Batman Adventures, which is just stupid, and they really neutered the look of Joker. They, like, ruined his character design, so that way when they went back to Return of the Joker, they kind of gave him back his old design, which, thank goodness for that. Yeah. But even Let's, then, it was like, it was an old, but it was new. Yes. Um, but yeah, I liked Batman Beyond, Return of the Joker. Also, of all ten movies on either of our lists, Killing Joke included, Return of the Joker has the single darkest scene in any Batman movie with yep. what happens to the original Joker. Yep. Not just that, but what happens to Tim as well. Of yeah. Watching this as a kid, not realizing until I was an adult, that there's two different versions of this movie of the version that I grew up watching, which I don't know how that was ever allowed on TV. And what I discovered later was kind of the TV edit Mm -hmm. of one way Joker dies versus the actual way Joker dies, which is a big difference. It's crazy, dude. I don't want to say too much because yeah, I know we're. I'm sure we're going to talk about it later, and we can talk about it further there. Um, But Josh, what's your number eight? I have Batman versus Team NT. Hmm. That yep. That's going to be later on my list too. Yeah, I I I think you'd enjoyed it more than I did, and that's not to say that I didn't love this movie because honestly, seeing Mikey react to literally all, all of Gotham is one of the single most funniest things I have seen to date. Um, I also feel like seeing things like Batman fight Shredder. It was fantastic, but it's, I think, I think um, story wise, I think I'm going a little deeper, you know, on my, my, my top like six and up. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to talk about it later because it is much higher on my list. And I think it's the same reason that we talked about um, with Return of the Joker of you were a Batman Beyond person. I was and yes. still am a Turtles fan. So having yeah, two things that I love in Batman and the Turtles crossover was like, if I could go back in time and tell, tell 12-year-old me that this movie would exist, he would be so ecstatic. Um, but also, oh, we'll talk about it in a few entries, but it was just... I had high expectations for this movie, and I, it really delivered for me, even as someone didn't know what to expect. And this came after I read the comic, which we'll talk about that later. If you haven't read it, read Batman Meets the Ninja Turtles. It's fantastic. Um, oh, it is. You talked about, for your number eight, Batman versus the Teen Titans. So for my number seven, I have a Batman versus, not Batman versus the Ninja Turtles, Batman versus Dracula. I figured that was going to be on your list. This to me is, um, I have a couple on this that are, I feel are, as though are very criminally underrated. And this is one of them because the Batman, the animated series, came off the heels of probably what is the most beloved incarnation of Batman ever with Batman animated series. So when they rebooted it, it didn't matter how good it was. People were going to be comparing it to that and saying it's inferior. Yeah. I really enjoy the Batman for the most part, except for some character designs here and there, Bane. Um, but this was the only movie that they ever did was Batman versus Dracula. And I still make it a tradition almost every Halloween to watch this because while it's not set around Halloween time, 
having Dracula in it and having just a twinge of that horror aspect to it, at least for a kid's PG animated movie, there's enough horror there. Um, really embodies the spirit of the darker elements of Batman. Also, scared the crap out of me when, spoiler alert, Joker is bitten by Dracula and having vampire Joker will haunt your nightmares. Yeah, some of the stuff he does to Penguin is terrifying. Yeah, like it's a lot darker. I If I had to compare it to anything in the world of animation... Batman versus Dracula is the Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island of the Batman world. Yes. Which is the weirdest analogy I can go with, but I think one that's fitting of like, here's what was normally going on. Here's the one weird exception that people seem to like. But to be fair, the Batman, as the, the, the TV show, was always really good about going just a little bit darker. I mean, even look even at the design of uh, of Joker. They they instead of this pinstripe, you know, nice suit, big smile, you have this this literal crazy gremlin that li- like runs around in a uh, uh, oh geez, what are they called? Straight jackets. Has like crazy hair and like. It's completely different, but it's darker in a certain, in very specific ways. What I also liked about the Batman versus Dracula, and this could all change with Robert Pattinson once we don't know, is yes. so far this is the best representation of Batman as a thinker, like as a genius detective and scientist. Because, spoiler alert, what ultimately beats Dracula is not the hand-to-hand combat that we've seen so well from Batman in years past. Batman actually has to outthink Dracula, which is something he hasn't really had to do in a lot of other movies. He actually has to, like, science a solution and actually outthink his opponent, which is an aspect that I would like more Batman stories to go into, which I think we're getting with Pattinson, but it's a nice change of pace to see. It's not just a straight-up, I need to beat the bad guy, one-on-one type of finale. It was a... He's got to fall into my trap type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. What's your number seven? Um, <laughs> so I know I've been. T- I, 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 if you were guys are listening, you heard me say everything after number six is all very, very story based. Um, yep, same here. Uh, so <laughs> number seven is Batman and Superman are public enemies because I have a weird love for this movie. Please don't tell me it's the animation style. It's not. It's because more just I like, love this movie too, except for the animation style. Oh, yeah. Watching Batman and Superman go head-to-head with literally everyone is the best thing. Which, a uh, quick side tangent about the animation style before we get into the story. As much as I hate it, it's a perfect embodiment of what the actual Public Enemies comic arc looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it, it looks perfect. Like but yes. as a movie, I like it too. It's really good. It's not on my list, but... Yeah, it's... I mean, I enjoy it. I, I think, honestly, looking on my list, I might I might have switched Public Enemies and Batman v. T- uh, versus the T- TMNT. Um, but it's just... It's a good time. It's not too worried about having this really developed plot and it's just it's it's just batman superman you know cornered and fighting everyone i would love to see a world's finest movie someday and maybe we will um 
and it would be like, we got that in Batman v Superman. No, they fought together side by side for like maybe two minutes before Wonder Woman came in and didn't kill Doomsday and should have because, spoiler alert, Wonder Woman's not immune. Wonder Woman can be near Kryptonite and not die. So why she didn't kill Doomsday is still beyond me. Yeah. Um, but I, I still would like to see, because I've always liked the world's, world's finest dynamic. If someone described it as Batman and Superman are both two different styles of fatherhood. Of Batman is the um, very cold, distant, but will still do whatever it takes to make sure his kids are protected, where Superman is like the overly affectionate, hug them every day before school type. Um, so they're two sides of the same coin. And a lot of times in modern storytelling, for some reason, we pit Batman and Superman against each other because there's like two titans. What happens in your main event if the two biggest guys around fight each other? I like more often than not when they're working together because so many times nowadays, it's just like Batman sees Superman as a threat. No, Batman and Superman are like best friends. Bruce mm-hmm. and um, Clark are good friends. And it's an element that I like that they went with for Public Enemies. Yes, that's part of the actual story arc, but I prefer them working together and being on the same page and being actual friends as opposed to we need to beat the crap out of each other like Dark Knight Returns or Batman v Superman, which is basically yeah. Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's your number six? <laughs> Here we are. Batman v <laughs> Batman Beyond, Return of the Joker. <laughs> say, if you put Batman v Superman, I will hang up on you for a third time. <laughs> for those who are listening, we, we've had some issues on this episode, and it's been quite hilarious, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's because we're prepared this week. But yes, let's talk Return of the Joker more at length this time. Let's yeah, talk. Absolutely. Let's talk about that death that we talked about earlier. Well, and not just the death, but the effect of the death. Yes. It's, the fact that it scars Tim so much that he legitimately becomes what he's so terrified of is, oh. And he more or less quits being Robin after that encounter. He does. But I like when um, Terry, like, tries to sneak up on him to interrogate him, and he's just like, dude, I could, I know you're there, even with invisibility. It's just like, what I've been trained doesn't really go away, so just show yourself. And I was just like, that's a nice touch. Well, it's also because Tim Tim is the, in my opinion, uh, after uh, Dick, is the best Robin. He's, I will say he's the most underrated Robin by far of, because he's not the flashiest one, because Jason's got the sad story, Damien's the true son, and Tim is, Tim's the middle child of Robins. Yes. And his only claim to fame is he's the smart one, which that doesn't really leap off the headlines, like being the handsome one or the rebel or the actual son. But yes, I I would say that Tim is the the solid number two. I've liked Tim. I just feel like he needs more more time in the spotlight. Which yeah, I, I yeah, it's, I don't really know what else to how to be, make him bigger outside of. The whole Red Robin thing that he's been doing. Stop changing up his suits because his current one is literally crap. Yes, it is. But um, anyway, we're back to moment of um, moment I, of truth. Though I'm not gonna lie, when I was a kid, 
Return of the Joker confused the ever-living crap out of me because um, they make it a point that Tim was Robin in this time period. And I was so confused because I wasn't a big diehard comic book fan like I am now that I was so confused. It's just like, wait, I thought Robin was real name Dick Grayson. Um, yeah. It, it did... Is that not what this storyline is? So, oh, so Tim Drake was Robin, not Dick Grayson. Like, I was so confused by that as a kid, not realizing, oh, hey, there's been more than one Robin. Yeah, which is hilarious that... What's interesting to me is they don't really say much about that. It's just, like, and it's it's cool There's a line in passing that uh, Barbara, adult Barbara, says about, like, Dick had already left to be Nightwing or something. Yeah. But, like, even at that, it was... Outside of that, like, there wasn't really any anything else to say. Which is funny to me, too. They don't even mention Jason. Well, that's because Jason deserves no love. Oh, jeez. I've said it a thousand times, and I'm sure I'll say it again later in this episode. As Robin, Jason is by far the worst Robin. It's not oh, until he dies that he becomes interesting. You're not wrong. Um, regardless, I think for me, like, Batman Beyond always had some very, very strong moral dilemmas um, in its show of just because you feel like you're the right doesn't make you right and, like, all that kind of stuff. Like, very still, you know, early 2000s animation, uh, you know, moral storytelling. But this one... Terry actually has to deal with something that's not like black and white, you know, good or bad, you know, like it's, it's also nice because it technically isn't his problem. Like he himself is not connected to the story. He's, he's a non-biased participant essentially. Yes. Cause like so often in superhero movies, it's directly to, tied to your main protagonist of like, it's your dead uncle. It's this, that, or the other thing. This has no connection to Terry himself. He's just wrapped up in somebody else's war. Outside of him being Bruce's son. We forget that happened. No, it's not. That's a thing. No. He had somebody else. Because I've always hated that reveal because it diminishes... It to me having Terry be Batman, Bruce Wayne's kid is the same as Peter Parker is the only one that could be Spider-Man in the Amazing Spider-Man movies because that's not the appeal of superheroes is yeah. anybody can fill those shoes it's not like destiny type thing. Yeah, no I, I don't disagree. Um but I also this like that the- and I've, I've always thought this with Batman Beyond I like that Terry's approaches to scenarios is different than Bruce Wayne's Batman scenarios of like, this is how Batman would beat Joker. Screw that. This is how I'm going to beat Joker. Establishing his own identity type of thing. Like when he starts laughing at Joker, I was like, oh, this is different. Yeah. It's, and I like it because that neat, that kind of thing needed to happen, but it would have been really easy to be like, Bruce is like, well, you need to do it this way. And, Terry's like, ha, 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 I'm young and I know better, ha, ha. And then he screws up and goes, okay, Bruce, let's do it your way. 
But it, instead, it's like, no, like Bruce's way. And I think it might be the, the first time, at least for me, that a Batman story legit goes, Bruce's way isn't always the best way. Which is cool, good to acknowledge because sometimes he's a horrible person. I mean, yes, <laughs> we will acknowledge that. What do you uh, What do you got for, for your number six there, pal? Number six is Batman versus the Ninja Turtles. Here's where okay. I have it slotted in. Um, okay. I First of all, one of the best things to me about this movie is so often in the newer stories of Batman, Batman himself is kind of a dick that no one wants to be around. Um, Batman versus the Ninja Turtles, yes, he's still that like grim and solemn character, but he at least is able to lighten up a little bit. Like he's not like, playful and fun like superman type but he also quickly can emotionally appeal with the ninja turtles he understands their issues buys them pizza on a couple of occasions he lightens up a little bit and when batman is like that it's more fun i think um as opposed to my life is sad all the time come with me to hot topic type of thing yeah uh, you know, like uh, my, my favorite thing is um, when there's a meme of Batman putting on his the black makeup underneath the mask before he goes out, um, which, first of all, is hilarious. Um, and he's like, it's like I am the night and it flashes to all the like pretty designs he puts on underneath the mask. And he goes, and the night is fabulous. I also like that this movie rewards you if you're a diehard fan of both. Yes. Like, you you can still enjoy this movie even if you've never seen a Batman movie, which is rare, or don't really know anything about Batman or Ninja Turtles. But if you are a diehard, there's so many little winks and nods. Like, I flipped out when Batman faces Shredder for the first time and Shredder drops down and they do like the super slow motion bounce-up effect that he did in the original 1990s Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah. Um... Just little touches of just like callbacks to um, either franchise. It's also probably because the turtles themselves are involved. One of the funnier Batman movies that's ever been made, except for one that we'll talk about later. Um, it actually made me like Damien on a couple of occasions. Of uh, Mikey is in the Batmobile with Batman, and Batman's like Michelangelo press all the buttons and Mikey's just like lights up and presses all the buttons and all the fireworks are going off. And Damien just looks on in sadness. I always wanted to push all the buttons. <laughs> well, and I think I always liked how they paired everybody off in the movie. Yes. Like, Everyone's like, paired off perfectly of yes. like, um, Raphael and Damien, Donatello and Barbara, Michelangelo and, um, Alfred, which they kind of tweak it from the comics because in the actual storyline, it's those pairings like Donatello and Barbara. But the one that I liked the best was Leonardo meets Nightwing. And I was just like, yep, that's a perfect pairing. Yep. Uh, it's It rewarded the longtime fans, but also was still readily accessible for those that weren't diehards. It was just, more than anything, it was entertaining. I did have some issues that that would prevent it from being higher on this list. Like, 
the weird when the villains like take the venom or no the TCRI serum and I thought that was kind of hokey. Also, why does the Joker turn into a snake and not a hyena? But I I hope I, for mm-hmm. and I think we will get a sequel because if they go with the volume 2 issue, the volume 2 like story arc of Batman meets the Ninja Turtles, it goes a really interesting route with like um Bane and the turtles themselves taking the venom that Bane takes. Um, it just takes a really interesting route. I just like the crossovers. It fit a lot better than I was expecting it to. I figured when you have Batman and the Ninja Turtles, it at some point would seem a little, this seems a little hokey. But it gelled together so incredibly well that I'm amazed that they're able to make the transition so seamless. Yeah, oh, Absolutely. At number five, I have not the best live-action Batman movie, I don't think, but to me, the most rewatchable one, and that's Batman Begins. <laughs> How did we both have this at number five? Of course we do. That's I don't crazy. think this is the best by any stretch, but no, this is no. the one that if I had to put on any of the live-action Batman movies just to have on, it's probably this one. Easily. I mean, to me, outside of the, it's got my favorite Batman moments. Like, Dark Knight has great Joker moments, but Batman Begins has great Batman moments. Like, um, the, one of the first times he's in action, he, and the, the guy's like, where are you? And he's like, here. <laughs> like, that's like one of the best parts of the movie. It, it's got a lot of really good Batman moments. Yes, I would completely agree. Um, it. I've always said it was the CPR that the Batman franchise needed so desperately after Batman and Robin of something so completely different. Um, Now, it's kind of tough now because it's so grounded in reality that we kind of want the more fanciful elements. But we needed Batman Begins when we got it. And still to this day, I don't think Batman Begins gets nearly the credit that it deserves for everything that it did for the Batman character, but also just being a really darn good movie of spending so much time with Bruce Wayne before he ever suits up. So that way when he does, we care, but also explaining the things that he does, um, like explaining his training, um, explaining this, that, and the other thing. And the hill that I've always been willing to die on is that Katie Holmes is a better character than Maggie Gyllenhaal's interpretation. No way. I've always thought, I know a lot of, I'm apparently in the minority. A lot of people like Maggie Gyllenhaal better. Really? Because I find Maggie very irritating. I like Maggie Gyllenhaal as an actress. I just didn't think she was a very good Rachel Dawes. I thought no. Katie Holmes was significantly better. Oh, totally. She gets this game. Yeah. Uh, but yes, but I, 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 it's all the little moments, I think, that, that it's a very much a Batman movie where, like, he, when he's, starts gliding down I forget it I think it's in towards the end when he's gliding down through all the bats um yeah it's, it's at the end when he kept, when he calls all the uses the sonar to call all the bats which is a yeah cool that's after one. Rachel's been yeah uh drugged by scarecrow which uh, we don't get dude, enough love to um Cillian Murphy as scarecrow He's a great scarecrow. And like the fact that like once you get the mask off of him and stuff and he's actually pretty terrified, he's kind of a coward. Like, Which yeah. actually would make a lot of sense. He's also, I think Christopher Nolan realized how good of a character was. He's the only villain to appear in all three movies. Yes. 
Um, yes, he is. Yeah, I Batman Begins just gets so much right for me, and it's just so enjoyable. I would agree. It, it's like you said; it's the most rewatchable. I think of really any of uh, definitely the live action, but I would dare say maybe some most of the uh, animated as well. Oh yeah, it's it's got to be up there, and the only reason why it's at number five is just there's something I like a little bit more. Uh, what's your number four, Josh? See, okay, so from four on, I think everything's going to start getting a little dicey for you and I. Um, I have for number four is Red Hood. Oh, okay. Yes, I, I again. Mine's definitely a little top. higher on the list, but not too much higher. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely top four quality. I the voice acting's superb, animation superb, story and delivery spot on. Um, no real problems with it. I just think the uh, the next three are just for me. I find better. I enjoy more. Like, um, I'll, I'll save know. my general thoughts for Under the Red Hood until I say it because it is a little bit higher on my list. But I'll just say this for now: it's as it's as close to a perfect adaptation of under the red hood as you can get. And it's yes. almost, it may be hyperbolic, but it's as perfect, as close to perfect as you can get for an animated Batman movie. Yes. Cause like you um, said, voice is great. Action's great, but I'll, I'll go into further detail later. Yeah, absolutely. So at my number four, it is something so completely different than under the red hood and Batman begins but one that nonetheless I think absolutely deserves to be in the list of the top 10 greatest Batman movies of all time. Fairly recent, but I don't care. The Lego Batman movie. <laughs> it's good stuff, man. It's good there stuff. There is no way this movie should have been as good as it is. Because... Oh, absolutely. Um, the Lego <laughs> movie. Still one of the greatest surprises I've ever had in a theater of holy crap... This is fantastic. And I thought, okay, that was a fluke. There's no way they can do that again, especially with the Lego Batman movie. Because I'll be honest, I didn't think Lego Batman was that great in the Lego movie. I thought he was entertaining, but kind of got annoying after a while. So I didn't know how I was going to feel going into a Lego Batman movie. Not just that, but my favorite character of all time, as you know, Dick Grayson, was going to be played by one of my least favorite actors ever in Michael Sarah. So this seemed like it was going to be a recipe for disaster. Um, somehow, I'm still to this day debating which one I like better, the Lego Batman movie or the Lego movie. But you can't go wrong with either one of them. And it's so well done. Of You can just tell the Lego Batman movie is made by fans because the Lego movie had like jokes a minute. Batman did too, but also had like references a minute of you have to watch this multiple times to catch everything. And I yeah. really appreciated that. There was so much in there. Also, there's also a lot of jokes that are completely going to go over people's heads and references that are going to go completely over um, fans' heads. But I appreciated that they were there for diehards of, like, you had Billy D. Williams voicing Two-Face, which seems like no big deal, but you forget Billy D. Williams played Harvey Dent in Batman 89 and then was completely recast by Tommy Lee Jones. So they actually got the right guy to be Two-Face this time around. Yeah. 
Which is hilarious. Or, just as much as I doubted him, Michael Sarah ended up being a fantastic Robin, who was just <laughs> great. <laughs> the greatest joke in the whole movie. Of, oh, my God. Um, my name's Richard, but my friends call me Dick. They can be so cruel, can't they? <laughs> oh, man. But not or just as like, funny as it what? was, and it parodies Batman in a loving way, it had way more heart than I expected from a Lego Batman movie. I figured it would just be like the Lego movie of just a lot of good jokes, but I also underestimated that the original Lego movie had a ton of heart, and Lego Batman yeah. actually had a great message with it that I was pleasantly surprised by. Which is, And it's something I don't know if we've actually seen Batman go through. Like, yeah, he's always, like, getting... The joke is always he's got a new protege all the time. But, like, this is the first time, really, we've kind of seen him be, like, have a pretty willing protege and him being like, nah, I'm good. And also... Also, black, black and yellow is awesome now. <laughs> and there was even a Nightwing uh, reference. He didn't actually uh, wear the right suit, but I'll, I'll give credit where credit's due. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a movie that I had no expectations to like, but I, it's definitely one of the best all-around, like, Expanding the Batman lore or just a Batman movie made by Batman fans. It's just great. Um, I would agree. We did your number four, correct? Yes, we did. Um, and what's interesting is my number three is Lego Batman. So it's really it's, uh, because my yes. number three is under the red hood. We just flip flop. <laughs> ah, that's hilarious. Um, but yeah, no, like it's just, it's, it, it has a lot of heart and I think the amount of references is, uh, Teen Titans go to the movie level. Um, it's incredible. The amount of stuff they pack in the joke that they keep using with the shark spray kills me every single time. Um, which that's a great running joke, not just in that, but also just in the Batman mythos, because I just played Arkham city again for the first time. Like, two weeks ago, and I always forget that there's a part where you punch a shark. Yep. <laughs> like, you guys um, really cannot let that go, can you? It's so funny. <laughs> um, but no, like, I just, it had a lot of heart, and I think getting, well, the thing I think I appreciated most about it was getting Alfred so involved. Yes. Voiced wonderfully by Voldemort. Yes. Um, and just, like, the the joke, the ongoing joke about all the villains that Batman has and how ridiculous they get. Yes. With um, Condiment King. Condiment King, Calendar Man, which they did my boy Calendar Man dirty, but also, <laughs> who would have thought that Zach Galifianakis would have been a really good Joker? I know, right? Like, man. But I also loved that, that like, Batman's like, I don't care that you exist, dude. You're a villain. I'm just here to take you down. And Joker's like, no, but we're lovers. <laughs> I do it because you need me. And Batman's like, I don't need anybody. <laughs> exactly. Which also, I'm not normally a big Will Arnett fan, but his Batman voice is spot on. Yes, it is. And he's the, the amount of commitment that he has on it through all of his lines is the best. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Like I said, my number three is your number four, Under the Red Hood. <laughs> I remember seeing this. This came out in 2011. So right around the time when I really hit my comic book boom of, okay, 
I'm about to nosedive into this. Um, and I remember a friend of mine in school recommended it to me. And I had heard of it. Uh, and he's just like, oh, there's a big twist. How is it a big twist? The movie, like, telegraphs what the twist is almost from the get-go, even if yep. you haven't read the End of the Red Hood story arc. Um, but I remember watching it in 2011, even way back when, going, it's going to be really hard to beat a better version of Nightwing than Neil Patrick Harris, which is a sentence that I'm still not quite used to saying. Yep. That... Neil Patrick Harris is the best Nightwing, followed closely behind by Jesse McCartney. Wait, what? Jesse McCartney's the voice of Nightwing on Young Justice. Wait, what? Really? Dude, we binge-watched the entire show on a weekend together. You never noticed that? No, what? How is... Okay, alright. So anyway, uh, moving yeah, Jesse on. Jesse McCartney <laughs> and... Nathan Drake from Uncharted voiced Superboy. What? Okay, whatever. <laughs> Folks, this is Josh <laughs> learning stuff today? Josh learns stuff every day. That's the problem. But yeah, it's hard to beat Neil Patrick Harris's Nightwing. Not even Jesse McCartney can beat it. But it's... Like I said earlier with Bruce... Uh, with... Um, Peter Weller in Dark Knight Returns. Normally, I'm a Kevin Conroy sucker through and through of you need to have Kevin Conroy for as many things as possible. Nowadays, if you can't get Kevin Conroy, you can't really go wrong with Bruce Greenwood, who I believe made his animated debut with Under the Red Hood and has done it a few times since, doing Young Justice, of course, as Batman. And he's a really good choice. If you can't get Kevin Conroy, Bruce Greenwood also known as Admiral Pike in the Star Trek movies. He's really, really good in this. Uh, the voice work, as we talked about earlier, with him as Bruce Wayne, Neil Patrick Harris as Nightwing, Jensen Ackles as the major MVP for this movie as Red Hood. Like, I wasn't familiar with Red Hood that well before this movie, but within the opening scene of when you see him and he, like, shakes down some mob bosses, you are immediately enamored with this character of like, villains don't talk like this. And I kind of like it. Yeah. He's, he's, he's really, really cool to watch. Honestly, it's, it's a stereotypical Batman story, but it's not because it's so connected to Batman of it's hits so close to home for him. And I've always said before, and I always love when every few months or so, it, the ending will make the rounds on like my Facebook feeds and whatnot of just like, if you haven't seen this finale, it's so emotional. I'm just like, y'all just watch the actual movie because it's really good. But the ending isn't your stereotypical like watch the two main, the hero and the villain punch each other. It's the villain like having a mental breakdown essentially. And it's actually Basically. really emotionally heavy. It's very heavy. I mean, even like Joker's kind of like, I'm going to stick in the stay right here because I I don't really want a lot of part of this. <laughs> yeah, even Joker's just like, this is not my fight. But I'm yep. still going to joke and do my Joker thing. But Yeah, I'm going to poke and prod. But Unfortunately, the direction that after Batman Hush, the animated movie that came out recently, which... Absolutely is not on my favorites list, which is disappointing because I love the book. Uh, it kind of seems like they might be toying with the idea 
of doing another Under the Red Hood movie, to which I'm not a fan of because it's really, really hard to improve upon this movie. Uh, this was like before they did a bunch of the animated movies and it still is leaps and bounds better than almost any other, almost any other uh, animated movie that they've done since. Well, it is actually better than any animated movie they've done since, but not the best animated movie. We'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. So what, I'm curious now, we're here, what do you have for your number two? If having Batman 89 didn't piss off enough, enough people at number 10, I'm going to piss off even more people now because at number two and not number one is The Dark Knight. No way! I think The Dark Knight is one of the greatest films ever made, and it's what made me a movie person. It, For all intents and purposes, other than maybe Star Wars and Toy Story, Dark Knight has had probably the most profound impact on my life as just I want to do more of this in my life. That being said, it's a terrible Batman movie. Yes, because it's so focused on It is a phenomenal crime thriller closer to like The Departed or Seven um, or just a gangster film, but it is a terrible Batman movie. Yeah, I would agree. I I think the the fact of the matter is Heath Ledger's Joker performance overshadows um, oh, geez, Batman so much. Oh, no. Who played Batman in it? I'm so terrible right now. Christian Bale. Oh, my gosh. I kept trying to say, like, Christopher Nolan. I was like, no, that's the director. Yes, Christopher Nolan played Batman. How funny would that be, honestly? Um, (laughs) But it's, he, the performance is so overshadowing, it's hard to really be like, oh, this is a Batman film. It, It feels more like a Joker film. If but we're going with traditional Batman it. elements and feeling more like a Batman movie, Batman yes. Begins is a stronger Batman movie than The Dark Knight. But yes, The Dark Knight would, is the I better would... movie. Yes. Like, The but Dark Knight really... is probably one of the 50 greatest films ever made, if not even higher. But as a yeah. Batman film goes, there's actually not a lot of Batman in it. The thing is, like, there's not a lot of traditional Batman elements that I would necessarily think. Like, the Joker's phenomenal, but it doesn't feel like a Batman movie. And I know some people would be like, well, that's just because it's changing it. Like, the Joker, to me, doesn't feel like a comic book movie. But people will still say it is. And that's fair. I don't know. I think if they leaned a little bit more into the... It's too grounded in its... Like, it's too realistic and grounded, which is always one of my big criticisms of the Nolan movies. That's, like, my only criticism. It's so great, and that was always that was the issue because it came back to bite them in in rises. Is that so grounded in reality that Bane, while cool, could have been so much better? And how does Batman get from one side of the of the planet to the other in the matter of a day? So, um, with no and plan. a nice pat on the back heals him from a broken back. Yeah, exactly. Like get out of here. It's like they're they're too. It's it's too grounded in reality to the point where you all of a sudden, when you start needing to use fantastical things to solve issues, it, it feels weird and it doesn't, it doesn't work. Yep. Uh, as much as that pains me to say, and I know people like defend that movie to the end and it's one of the best movies ever made. They'll be like, no Batman movie will ever beat it. And I, as in terms of 
Batman mythos, I think there's definitely been some better movies. Uh, what's your number two, Josh? Um, here's the thing. I want to guess your number one. Okay. It's not going to be hard. For you, of all people, it's not going to be hard for you to guess my number one. Yes. Um, because I think I think you can guess what my number one is is as well. Uh, is your is your, your number one my number one or is your number one what I just said for my number two? No, because uh, we have the same number two. Um, okay, okay, you didn't specify that. Yeah, I did. I said it, man. You listen to me all the time. That really helps. Um, anyway, um, your number one is Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I knew that going into this. Like, it's like there's no way, dude. That anybody that's listened to this podcast for more than like an episode knows that that's going to be my number one for Batman movies. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I preach so the go gospel of Phantasm to all who listen. <laughs> there's three movies and- that I'll defend and preach to everyone: Warrior, Iron Giant, and Mask of the Phantasm. Yep. It's the holy trinity of now, underrated classics. I didn't put it on my list only because I knew it was going to be so high on yours. And you... That's fair, but much, still. ...much better at talking about it than I am. Um, and I think you have a much more personal connection with it than I do. True. I'll get into my whole history with it later. Um, Josh, what's your number one? So I have no problem separating part one and two of Dark Knight Returns. Really? Um, this yes, surprises Dark- me that this is your number one. Dude, okay, so here's the thing. I wanted to say this before, but the reason that the part two feels so like like it loses its momentum is because of how part one ends. Because it ends in such a perfect way that you don't have to, like, there's no more of the story. Like, we can just walk away now. Like, that's okay. Um, I mean, that that final speech that he gives as he's beating up the the, the, the lead mutant, um, you know, like, this, this that's where you're mistaken, boy. This isn't a mud pit. This, this is, is a, an operating, operating table. When I'm the surgeon, it, like, snaps his arm. I was like, oh, my God! Like, I was, and, like, the music swells. Like, it was... It is genuinely, like you said, like seeing Bruce Wayne get getting back into the swing of things. And the weird not- thing is, um, when he's beating up the mutant, that's not actually my favorite scene from part one. It I have really? an what, odd pick for my favorite scene, and maybe it's just because other than Mask of the Phantasm, uh, Dark Knight Returns has some of my favorite music for any animated movies, um, and the music for this particular scene is the best, I think. And it's going to be surprising to you, but it's the first time that he wears the suit and there's that, like, grouping of criminals with guns and he's trying to take them out stealthily and he's not as good as it it, as he used to be. So, like, doesn't he, like, get shot and he, like, falls down and he, like, has to climb up a rope to get the advantage or something. When he's, like, climbing up that rope, the music swells to just, like, the hero getting their footing again, learning to run again. That that's my favorite scene from that movie. Oh dude. And that's a fantastic one too, because the, the cop, the, the, the veteran, the vet cop is like trying to tell the young blood, like, bro, like chill out. It's okay. He's got this, which actually, I know you're not a fan of rises as much, but I thought that was a nice homage that they put in rises that they more or less echoed that exact same scene. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would agree. Uh, but like this one's, I think this is my favorite Batman film. I have no problem separating it from part two because while part two is cool and you have that great little sequence of lines where he's like, you know, you'll think of me in your darkest nightmares, blah, 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 blah. And you'll know deep down I'm always the I'm the one that's the only one that's beat you, blah, blah, blah. And that's cool. But like. It's pitting two people I don't want to fight against each other. And it's pitting like, you know, he kills Ollie. Like, I don't want that. You know, like it's it's not something I want to watch now. Do I want to watch um, Batman, you know, even though he's in old age, still be his stubborn self and be like, all right, these guys are not, are messing with my city and I don't appreciate it. I'm about to shave off my mustache and everything. Yep. And Which, he does it without even thinking about it. Yeah, I love that. He, um, Alfred's just like, Master Wayne, when did you shave your mustache? I shaved it? Like he doesn't even realize, like he was almost like in a trance yes. when he became Batman for the first time again. Yeah, exactly. I, I will say the one thing that I I, I did, I'm not going to say enjoy, but I liked about the second part is um, how heartbreaking it is for when when it's revealed, like why Two Face is covering his whole face now, and yeah. like it, dude, I think, not, I think that might like, be part one. I think you're right. I think it's part one. I think the part you're one right. ends with him beating Two Face. Right, right. You know, yeah, you're right because that's that's what starts. Because um, Joker's in that mental institution, and every time he hears Batman, he likes Batman. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. That's in part one. That's in part one. Yes, because there's that heartbreaking moment too, and like even Bruce is like, "Oh, bro." <laughs> well, speaking of heartbreaking, you had for my number one. Batman actually having a chance at happiness, which is a concept that up until that point we hadn't really explored in Batman because it's with Mask of the Phantasm, it is, but it isn't an origin story of, um, I know we never will, but I would love a live action movie to at least take some inspirations from Mask of the Phantasm of like not full origin story, but this is the path that Batman could have gone down of, Batman could have been happy. He found somebody and then things just didn't end right. And when things went badly, that's really what pushed him over the edge to becoming Batman. And just the little touches that led up to him being Batman were so well done. But just everything about Mask of the Phantasm, I think, is just what you're looking for in a Batman movie. So... I grew up with Batman Animated Series. This is no secret. I remember every single day it was on at 4.30 on Cartoon Network after the Addams Family cartoon. And at the time, everything was like bright, colorful, like a kid's show. And then Batman Animated Series comes on and it's really dark. Not in terms of thematic elements, which from time to time it was, but in terms of like actual color palette, you felt really mature and adult for watching it. Um... So then when they aired all the Batman animated movies, like, I would immediately watch them. Like, um, Sub-Zero, Mystery of the Batwoman, and Mask of the Phantasm. I remember buying all three of them in a DVD box set. That was one of, like, the first, like, movies that I bought with my own money was buying all three of them because I watched them so many times. And I bought it for Mask of the Phantasm because I would watch it all the time on Cartoon Network. And it's, I like it because, one, Joker's in it. But he's not, he's used properly. He's a villain, but he's not 
the villain. The villain is Phantasm, a new, entirely new character, which is unheard of for comic book movies. You normally have to do a character that already exists, Arkham Knight, even though you told us it wasn't a character that already exists. You created a completely new character that actually is a credible threat to Batman. Um, But it's also a believable threat because Phantasm is killing Gotham's biggest mob bosses. And since people are already afraid of Batman, they can kind of buy that, yeah, he maybe he snapped and is killing them now instead. It walks this really... It explores new territory for Batman that we hadn't seen in a movie to this point. And honestly, we still haven't in a lot of even live-action movies. Uh, it's just so incredibly well done. Voice acting... Uh, Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill, they're just at their best. It's an intriguing mystery more than anything else. That's why um, we'll never get it, but I would like a Mask of the Phantasm type story with a mystery of who is under the mask and a really big twist nonetheless when we do get the mask taken off. Um, There's just a, it was more mature and complex than a lot of other Batman stories that I was familiar with at the time. And it's just, embraces all the elements of the detective elements, the fighting elements, um, the Bruce Wayne character. Uh, it just it asks a lot of big questions and it does it so incredibly well. And I don't think as a pure Batman film, nothing's been able to beat it so far. Um, there's been better movies, but in terms of Batman movies, nothing touches Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, well, hey, I think... Overall, I don't think there's a single movie on either of our lists that people shouldn't go see. Uh, I, I think every single movie on our, our our list, and yeah, I know some people are probably tired of hearing about Batman. I get it. But screw you. Go see him. <laughs> They're great stories. Yeah, if you have not seen Mask of the Phantasm, seriously, do it. And I... In the last, I posted a video to the YouTube channel um, earlier this week that I said, as a longtime Batman fan for the top 10 characters, I put Matt, uh, Phantasm at number four. And I said, it'll never happen, but how great would it be? I would flip the crap out if there's an end credits where we don't even see anything, but all we hear is, Bruce Wayne, your angel of death awaits. And that's your tease for the next movie. Mm going to be fun, man. I I tell you what. Are you still there? Yeah. You just were just like, I'll tell you what, and then you didn't tell me what. (laughs) That's a Texas phrase, buddy. Get over it. I was like, did we (laughs) drop again? (laughs) All right, we need to keep that. (laughs) I was like, dang it, that would be like the fourth or fifth time. Seriously, folks, this has been, it's going to go down as one of our longest episodes and probably one of our better ones, but in terms of production, it's a nightmare, people. Oh, man, it's been rough. It's Let's been end rough. this thing before it drops out again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Actually, one last thought. When this new Matt Reeves Batman movie comes out, where do we think it's going to fit in the rankings? Um, I'm hoping number, I'm always hoping for number one. I, th- but, I hope um, for number one, but I'm expecting number three or four. I'm, I'm, yeah, I was going to say easy top five. I'm, 
I think with everything we're hearing, I think it's going to be pretty high up there. We're on the right track. Well, what do you guys think? What are your favorite Batman movies? Let us know in the comments below. It was like hearing from you guys. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.